This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I can't believe I'm saying this. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line by the one and only Jennifer Aniston. Why did Jennifer Aniston start a hair care company? Because she was tired of choosing between hair products that work and hair products that are actually good for us. But thanks to Lola V, we never have to choose again. No silicones, no sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, it's cruelty-free and vegan. The glossing detangler and perfect conditioner are my personal favorites. Not only do they repair the look of damaged hair, but they also shield it from future harm. The first step to unlocking confidence in your dating life and your daily life is feeling confident about your hair. So unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. And as listeners of Seeing Other People, you're getting an exclusive 15% off off of your entire order when you use code Seeing Other People at checkout. That's 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com with promo code Seeing Other People. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they will ask you where you heard about them. Please, please, please support Seeing Other People and let them know that I sent you. Hey guys, it's Alana and you're listening to Seeing Other People Unfiltered. Each Thursday on Unfiltered, I'll be bringing on a different anonymous guest to open up about their real life dating experiences. We'll discuss what they went through or are going through, how they navigated it, what they've learned, and what advice they have to anyone else going through something similar. Unfiltered is your reminder that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. If you have a topic that you'd like to discuss on Unfiltered, please email your story to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com to be considered for an episode. Real people, real stories, real life. This is Seeing Other People Unfiltered. All right, we are here with Jamie Stone. Jamie, welcome to Seeing Other People. Thank you for having me on. I feel very honored. No, Jamie, it is so great to have you here. And I appreciate you, you know, reaching out to talk about such a real thing that happened to you and that obviously has impacted your entire life, I'm sure, in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. Um, and I just appreciate how, you know, through everything you've been through, you bring so much to everyone else. You know, you have your podcast, you have your blog, you there's so much that you do and so much you know, as much as you say you like to be negative, like positivity that you put out there. And it really is infectious. And so I'm just I'm grateful to, you know, know you and to have you here. So you make me cry already. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hold off. We'll get there. We'll get there. But um, yeah, so okay, I know I don't know really where you want to start this. But I know, you know, you lost your sister and you lost your dad. Um, I guess, you know, take me back to the beginning, what was going on in your life in 2016 before this happened? Yeah. Um, so my sister, she was my little sister. She, uh, passed away of an accidental opioid overdose, um, pills. And it's like, it's, it sounds, I almost say it like so blase now because it just, it's affected so many people and it's just becoming, and now with like fentanyl taking stage, it's, it's really, it's crazy. Like everyone is somehow affected by opioid overdoses and opioid addiction and, um, you know, it's something that I, I, not that I enjoy talking about it, but something I like to talk about because I feel like the more we talk about it, the more it becomes destigmatized. Um, it's, yeah, it's something that I think when Melissa passed away in 2016, people were just starting to talk about it. And when I posted on Facebook, which really is just the people that I, like, I actually know it's not like followers or anything like that. Um, I got probably upwards of like 20 private messages from people like telling their story of how they were also affected um, by opioid addiction. And so, you know, once that started happening, I realized like, I need to keep talking about this because that's the only way that this is going to get fixed. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even just hearing how many people reached out to you, like in one way, like on one hand, it is surprising, but on another hand, it's really not like this happens so often, unfortunately. And, you know, like in places where you wouldn't expect it to happen too. And I, you know, know multiple people who lost siblings or friends in the exact same way with um, either like painkillers or opioids overdosing. And you would never expect like, it's like, oh, it could never happen to me or someone I know, but it like really, really can. Yeah. And in, in different variations, like, um, you know, I, I was friendly with Corey Monteith before when, when he was sober and then he started using again and we didn't really hang out as much anymore. But, you know, he overdosed on heroin in I think it was 2013. And what's crazy about that is like when I first moved to L.A., I think I was a little bit embarrassed, maybe not embarrassed, not the right word, but I was private about my sister and her struggle with addiction. And he was actually like the first person in LA that I opened up to because he was so open about his issues with sobriety and and addiction. And, um, you know, so when he passed away, that was really shocking. And then my sister three years later, um, it's just, it's, it's weird. It's like, you're almost like numb to it after a certain amount of years go by, but it still affects me obviously for every day. How long was your sister struggling with addiction? She, I would say it's early teens um, and in varying degrees. She really struggled a lot. I mean, she was probably like, I'm assuming smoking pot and drinking when she was like 12 or 13. Like, I mean, I don't have like proof of it, but I'm pretty sure of it, you know? Um, And it progressed. I mean, she did, you know, what's crazy too is like I, some of this timeline, I have just like completely like blocked in my head because I think it was just so painful. But I remember when I was, I think a freshman and sophomore in college, which would have made her like 15 or 16. um, She did go to rehab. My parents put her there and it worked for like a little bit. But then she just was going to, she was always going to struggle with it It, in varying degrees. Weirdly, like not a huge drinker, but like (laughs) definitely I think drugs were her, her choice there. Um, But yeah, it it became worse. I think like she, she was mostly sober, but then she got into a car accident. And this is what happens a lot with opioid pills with like Percocets and those things. The doctors overprescribe them. And it only takes two days to become addicted to opioids. People are shocked when I say that. It's two days. So if you are suffering from chronic pain, that's where you get into trouble. It's not like if you have a surgery, like I had fibroids removed a couple of years ago and I was like so afraid to take the, the opioids, but I had to because I was in so much pain. But I literally took them for like two or three days and then I stopped because I the pain was lessened to where I could take Tylenol. But if you have chronic back pain or if you got into an accident and you can barely walk and you start taking those pills every day, your tolerance builds up so fast to them. I mean, within like days, like three days go by and you're like, oh, I was taking two a day. Now I have to take four to even like feel the same results. And that's where people get into trouble. Did you watch the show Dope Sick? I have not. I know people really like it. I just, it's hard for me to, because I know what's going to happen. (laughs) It's, you know, to, to face that it's, yeah, it's like you have to really be very mentally prepared. Yeah. For those who, you know, don't know what Dope Sick is, it's this like maybe six episode series or something like that. I think it's on HBO Max. Um, Came out last year and it's about, you know, America's struggle with opioid addiction and how this pharmaceutical company like came up with these new pills and they somehow got them to be like FDA approved. And, you know, they were just shoving them 
like the, and this narrative about how they are safe to doctors and doctors were prescribing them without knowing that they weren't safe. And it was really like, it's such a fascinating thing to watch. And, you know, the whole time it's like, you want to like shake the TV and, and shake the people who are being pitched to. And like, you can even see their internal struggle feeling like, no, I feel like this isn't right. And the way they're telling me to like pitch this to doctors like feels wrong, but they're saying it's safe. So like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, you obviously follow a lot of characters who are taking these pills too. And it's just, it's really, it's really hard to watch even, you know, not like personally knowing somebody who um, was impacted by it, but yeah, the Sackler family yeah. is who you're talking about, and they yes. um, they are responsible for. I mean, I don't I don't know statistics specifically, but I would say a huge chunk of the opioid crisis. And you know, there are lawsuits, and they're getting. I mean, it's just it's such a complicated situation. Um, they've had to pay, I believe, billions, but they're still super rich. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it like, doesn't it, even matter. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. And I, I mean, and I will so say horrible. like. One thing that I often refer to is Dr. Oz, who we now know is a monster. But before we thought he was a monster, or I thought he was a monster at least, um, he did go out on his show a few years ago and say, we were duped. We were duped by the pharmaceutical companies. I'm one of the doctors that was duped. We were told these were safe, and they are not. And I will say I gave him a lot of credit for doing that because that happened that when he did that before they were in all the lawsuits. So... There are people who have stood up and said something, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people a year are now dying and it's going to keep going up. It went up during quarantine, which the news didn't really report on too much. Obviously, I understand why, um, you know, COVID was the news story there, but it, the isolation, I think it, it increased a lot of anxiety and, and people who are, you know, maybe already struggling. The Yeah, yeah. It, the numbers have just skyrocketed and it's something that we need to continue to continue to talk about so that hopefully we can find some kind of solution that works. Yeah. And even just, you know, raise awareness and then spread the word so that people know to look out for friends, family members who might need help. Yeah. Um, so how old were you when this was happening with your sister? When it started? Yeah, or- I guess when it started and and when you lost her. So um, I'm four years older than her. So I guess I was probably about maybe 19 or 20 uh, when it started. And then I was... Um, Oh my gosh, she was 29, 30. I'm like, I can't do math right now. I was like 33 when she died. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how did this, obviously like this impacted you in so many ways. Like I want to tie it back to dating, but we also can talk about every other aspect of your life. But you know, how did this impact you? And I feel like just shake up your world. Yeah, no, I, I want to talk about how it specifically definitely impacted dating, because I think that's something that no one really talks about grief and dating. At least I haven't seen much on that. Um, it, it changed my life obviously completely and upside down. But one thing I found was that I, everybody handles grief differently for me. Like when Melissa died, um, I just really found myself, it was harder to like kind of be on. And when you're dating, especially going on first dates, like you have to be on, you have to like be charismatic and charming and funny. And like the idea of, having those, you know, interview type conversations over and over again with a stranger just wasn't happening. And I went on a couple dates just because I felt like I needed to. But truly, I would say I wasn't really ready to start dating again after Melissa died for like three years. And then my dad died. <laughs> so it was like, literally, literally, I like, I, I went on like three or four dates with this guy. Uh, 
in early 2019. And then my dad died in May, 2019. And I was like, Oh, Jesus. here we go. <laughs> and it, it's here, here been, we go again. Yeah, exactly. Like just when I was ready, it's, it's yeah. really, it's an interesting thing because you have, you have to be on, like I said, but then, I mean, at least for me, and I think this is pretty common, like you, a lot of people feel anxiety around having those like get to new conversations because it's very normal for someone to be like, do you have any siblings? Are you close to your totally. parents? Yeah. And when I tell you, it's like so awkward. <laughs> Someone's like, do you have any siblings? I'm like, I, I did, but she died. And no one knows what to say. And I get it. I'm not like blaming the other person, obviously, because it's a really uncomfortable situation. But um, it's, it's just, it kind of like dampers the mood, if that makes sense. Do you have other siblings? No. no. Yeah, it's hard because it's like, how do you go around that question? And, you know, I've, I've talked to people who have lost siblings and some of them either answer with like, oh, I, I have a younger brother and, you know, they don't mention their older brother who passed away right. or they, you know, I have a friend who says, yeah, I have a younger sister and an older brother and doesn't mention that her older brother passed away. Right. And, but like in, in your situation where you don't have another sibling to point to, like, you're, what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to say like, I mean, you could say no. I'm sure there are people who do that, but I have it's like done that such before. a weird, yeah, it's such a weird thing to answer. Cause you also, unfortunately, like you feel responsible for their feelings too. Yes. And, and I'm, yeah. And I, like I said, I have done that before on like one or two dates where I just like lied. Cause I'm like, I, you can already, I'm already kind of like not into you. So I'm like, I might as well, I don't need to like ruin the mood. Like I'm just going to lie to you and like make this easy. I'm probably never going to see you again. So like, there's kind of no point in being honest, you know? Um, but it feels gross because it feels like I'm like kind of dishonoring my sister a little bit when I do that. Yeah. But I get why people do it because it is just easier, especially if you like are never going to see them again. Who cares? Yeah. Have you, I mean, I guess obviously this isn't just like in the first few dates after it happened, but now with both your sister and your dad, um, and as you've continued to, you know, date and make connections, like, do you go into detail about what happened early on or do you like wait? Like, is there a point where you bring it back up to talk about like, how do you navigate just these conversations beyond acknowledging it? You know, what's crazy is like, I, since Melissa died, I, I've really only been on a handful of dates um, because I did really not feel ready for like three years. And then my dad died. And then one day I just decided I was feeling good that day. And I went on hinge and I know I told you in my episode with you, I met my ex now ex-boyfriend from last year on hinge. It was my first and only ever hinge date. And he, I have not gone on a date since we broke up. It's that took so much like out of me. (laughs) And, um, it made me just realize that like, I didn't really feel like I was my, in my best place, you know? And not just because of the grief, but like definitely part of the grief too. It's, and I will say one thing that was really interesting that I didn't know about him is on our first date, you know, he asked, do you have any siblings, blah, blah, blah. So I told him and I was like, yeah. And I'm like, I guess I should just tell you like, and my dad died. (laughs) And I mean, he was just like, he handled it so well. He was like, oh my God. Like, and weirdly enough, his brother actually had died. And and within like a month of my sister of suicide, not drug addiction, but like we had that in common and it like weirdly, I mean, it helped because you feel like they can kind of get what you're going through. So, well, that's one thing I kind of wanted to ask about, you know, this idea of like, have you bonded with somebody who has also lost someone and, you know, it's in a way it's trauma bonding, but in a way you also 
it, it makes so much sense that there are so few people who can really understand what you went through and what it felt like and how it impacted you and to, you know, meet someone else in that position who has been through something similar, like, of course, that's going to connect you. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? It is so normal, but it's not talked about and it makes all of us going through it feel really alone and frustrated. And I'm one of those women and I have been so self-conscious about my hair thinning and shedding for so long. That is why I'm eternally grateful that I found Nutrafol last year. And honestly, I wish I had tried it sooner. When my team asked me recently if I wanted to team up with Nutrafol, I have never said yes to something faster. Nutrafol has become a part of my routine that I can't live without because of how much it's helped me and I truly could not recommend it more highly. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And it is so easy to start your hair journey. You can take the hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root cause. Because everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. That's why Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, as well as for different lifestyles like plant-based diets. And I know, I know, it can be hard to commit long-term to doing something every single day. But with Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automatic delivery ensures that you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. If I can do it, so can you. It's kind of funny that I'm recording this right now as I'm literally about to go get a haircut because my hair is probably the longest it's ever been right now and my hair never used to grow. But now it does and it's really all thanks to Nutrafol. Plus, I am so grateful to be going into my wedding feeling confident about my hair and that is definitely not something I expected to be able to say before starting Nutrafol. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners a $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrafol.com promo code seeing other people. I'm not just a girl on the go these days. I am a chicken running around with its head cut off. Two podcasts, wedding planning, wedding attending, dog momming, traveling, and trying to eat well, move my body, and stay sane all at once is not a recipe for success. That's why I've turned to my recipe masters, aka Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat meals that taste delicious, make me feel good, and take a major thing off of my to-do list. Factor's meals are pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved and there are more than 35 options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan, veggie, and more. Guys, I seriously can't say enough good things about Factor's meals. They take two minutes to heat up, which means I can pop them in the microwave between recordings, or I can grab a ready-made smoothie from the fridge on my way to a workout class, or I can even have dinner ready for me and Jake after a really long day of work without lifting a finger. It has changed so much and has really made me feel like there's one last thing I need to worry about. And I feel good after eating the meals. Like they're so delicious and nutritious. You can order as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. And you can pause or reschedule whenever you need, which has been really helpful for me with on and off traveling that I've had over the last few months and over the next few months. And you guys know I love when things make sense financially and factor meals are less expensive than takeout. So you save money and you don't have to go anywhere to pick them up. Factors roasted garlic butter salmon and their tomato basil chicken risotto 
are two of my favorites that I keep ordering on repeat, but honestly, every single one of their meals has lived up to the hype. And of course, we are hooking you guys up. Head to factormeals.com slash seeing other people 50 and use code seeing other people 50 to get 50% off. That's code seeing other people 50 at factormeals.com slash seeing other people 50 to get 50% off. You guys are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from the best of the best, Jenny Kane. And yes, there is a discount, so keep on listening. You know that feeling when you get a new sweater and it instantly becomes basically another layer of your skin? Like you wear it everywhere for everything all the time. Okay, well, Jenny Kane has become my literal uniform. And if you don't know Jenny Kane, I'm pretty much about to change your life because Jenny Kane's clothes did that to mine. Jenny Kane is a California brand with luxurious staples that will transform your closet. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. They have the coziest cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that will elevate your everyday basics. I don't know if I wear my cashmere fisherman hoodie or my cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan more. All I know is that I cannot live without either of them. Whether it's a cozy night in with the girls, a dinner date with Jake, or catching a flight to Florida to see my parents, these sweaters are perfect for every single occasion. And I couldn't be happier when I'm wearing them because I'm so comfy. And you guys know me. I always choose comfort over how something looks. But with Jenny Kane, I don't have to choose because I get comfort and I get style. All right. So we have the discount code coming for you. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Seeing other people listeners get 15% off their first order when you use code SOP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SOP. S-O-P. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Yeah, I definitely have men and women. And I remember like when after Melissa died, I um, I was talking to one of my friends who she had lost her dad when she was a teenager to suicide. And I was like, how do you handle that on dates? Like I, I was going to her for advice, truly. And she said, oh, you know, the guy will say, oh, parents, blah, blah, blah. And she'll say, oh, my dad died. And he'll say, I'm so sorry. She goes, oh, it's okay. It happened a long time ago. And I'm like, but I can't say it's okay. And yeah. it's not okay. It does, it's not okay even if it happened a long time ago. But it was her way of kind of just like moving it along. And I get it was easier yeah. for her because he did die many, many years ago. I and mean, this was like very fresh with my sister and with my, and it's still fresh with both of them. More so with my dad because it was 2019. But, you know, it, it's 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 just hard. There's no right or wrong answer to any of this. And I feel like it's it's helpful definitely talking to other people to see how they deal with it. But like the way that she was so dismissive of it, over it, like that's not how I – wanted to handle it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it, I'm glad you brought that up because everyone's going to handle it in a different way and everyone's yeah. going to figure out what works for them. And that's important. There's no right or wrong way to navigate these conversations by any means. No, definitely yeah. not. And and that's why I wanted to talk about this really, because it's like getting, I think the same with like talking about the opioid addiction. It's like the more we talk about grief dating and dating during grieving periods or whatever you want to call it, yeah. Like the more it becomes like less awkward, right? <laughs> I just think the right. conversation needs to be opened up more about it. Yeah. What would be like the ideal response? Like, let's say, you know, someone listening is go goes on a date tomorrow and the person across the table from them says, I lost my sister. I lost my mom. I lost my previous partner, whatever it is. Like, what should they respond? Like, what would you want to hear in a perfect world? That is, it's, that's a really good question. And I, like, I love that you asked it. It's, it's, and I've thought about the answer to that a lot, truly. I, I think it's really dependent on the situation for me, at least, because, you know, sometimes when you're on a date, especially a first date and, and heavy stuff comes up, like, 
I don't really want to like get emotional and cry, especially if I had like a drink or two, like that kind of fuels the fire. Like I might start crying and like, it's just like, I don't want to necessarily go there with every new person that I meet. So for me, I would say if it's a first date and it comes up, you know, oh, my sister died, my dad died. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That must've been really hard for you. Like, we don't have to talk about this unless you want to. Like maybe just like ask and just kind of gauge and see. You know, yeah, because there might be a time when like, especially with my ex, like we did talk about it because I felt a very strong connection with him. But like with the guy that I was like, I don't, I'm never going to see you again. Like, I don't want to tell you this whole story. (laughs) Let's just like keep it light. (laughs) I love that, that option of like, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but if you do want to, we can. I think that's so important. And that's something that I've tried to do in with my friendships, my relationships, whoever I'm talking to, you know people come to me a lot to like vent or talk about what's going on in their dating life, whatever it is. And I have recently started to practice saying like, do you want my advice or do you just want me to listen? Yeah. And like give them that option. And I think giving people options of like, we can talk about it or not up to you. I think that is so it's like, it's just like a hug almost. It's like whatever you need, I got you. Yeah. And this is like about you. And I want you to feel, I want you to get out of this. What you want, I think is just, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I agree. It's not easy. And it's not, listen, it's not easy for the other person who's hearing the sad story either. I completely get that. It's just getting, I think getting to be truly intimate with someone like that conversation needs to be had. And I will say like, even with my ex, he really didn't ask a lot of questions about my sister or my dad. And it did, it did kind of bother me because I'm like, you know what this is like, like your brother died. And I mean, it could have, I just assumed that maybe he wasn't asking because he didn't want to talk about his own experience. But I truly think that like that would have, it would have upgraded our relationship if he had, not the first date, of course, but like more further on in the relationship, if he had like invested a little more time and energy into like letting me talk about them. Did you ask questions about his brother? brother you I, said right yeah brother yeah, yeah I did yeah. um I probably could have asked more but I was kind of gauging off of the reciprocation and it just wasn't really happening but yeah I did yeah. and you could tell it yeah. was still something that maybe he hadn't fully dealt with because of the situation you know the this suicide and drug overdoses obviously both terrible but different especially when that when the overdose is accidental you know yeah that makes sense yeah I think it's something like everyone I guess is going to process on their, at their own speed. But if, you know, do you wish, like, if you could go back in time, would you have tried to talk about it more and be like, I want to tell you more about Melissa. I want to tell you about my dad. Or is that like, was that just too scary of a thought to do? I I think it's a hard question because like the way that I feel about him now is so different than when we were dating. Right. Well, okay. So I feel like if you were to be with someone new new in the future. New. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have probably tried to open up that a little bit more, but it's hard because I think one thing about me is like when I, I haven't had a ton of serious relationships. So like I tend to like tread lightly at the beginning because I don't want to like overwhelm them with all of my stuff and my stuff, obviously (laughs) over the past six years has gotten pretty intense. And maybe that's on me. That could be something that I'm just projecting, but that's, that's sort of how I've always felt about it. Yeah. How did you lose your dad? If you don't mind me asking. No. Um, so my dad, uh, kind of crazy. 
he was like the most fit 72 year old. He just turned 72. Like people never, like he looked so much younger. He looked like 10 years younger. He was just like very active, like always athletic, always like hiking, biking, camping, all the things. Um, we do have high cholesterol in our family. That's on, I have it on both sides of mine. So like, that's always something that like he dealt with and I deal with and all of that. But um, yeah, he wasn't feeling well. And so um, it was like a couple of weeks actually where he just was like, oh, my allergies, I'm just not feeling well. And then it got to a point where he was feeling so sick that his girlfriend took him to urgent care and they were like, your blood pressure like is crazy low or high, I forget which one. And um, you have to go to the ER. So he went to the ER and they admitted him. And I can't go into specifics because there is a pending lawsuit. Um, but let's just say he left and like a day and a half later, he was dead. Oh my God. And it was, it was a heart attack due to, um, untreated myocarditis, which is like a, a viral infection that like inflames the heart tissue and can cause a heart attack, which it did. Jesus. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. That is so scary. It's like, it happened so fast and it was just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Like you were supposed to be fine. Like you left the hospital and you're not fine now. Yeah. Jesus. All right. I'm like, I don't know how to switch gears from that, but I'm going to try. What, what are some ways that this and like grieving all of this has impacted you that people might not expect? You, you lose a lot of friends and relationships, I guess. I mean, I, I wasn't in a relationship with, with a man. So I, at the time, so I, I don't know, but I have heard stories that that does happen. I did, I did lose a lot of friendships, which was, I mean, very difficult, especially because it was like people that I thought were like going to be forever friends, or I had been friends with for 24 years, like things like that. Um, and then also people who you don't expect to show up for you show up. It's you just, there's literally no way to predict it. Like if you would ask me 10 years ago, like, Oh, when your dad dies, you know, who do you think is going to be there for you? It, the people that were like, like, and vice versa, like we're not on the list. <laughs> like, it, yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, well, number one, I think a lot of people, shockingly, don't have experience with loss, which for me, it's always been a part of my life. Like since I was six years old, I was like losing grandparents and aunts and uncles and cancer. And like, I've grief has always been a part of my life. Um, which is something I realized through therapy. She was like, you know that like not everybody deals with that, right? I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah. She's like, there are people who like don't, like they still have their like 96-year-old grandparents. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Bizarre to me. Um, so there's that factor of it where it's like they don't, they can't put themselves in your shoes. Like they know it's a sad thing and they know that they should try to be supportive, but they don't know how to help. And I will say like, I am also guilty of that. Even though grief has been a part of my life since I was a little girl. Like I remember my roommate, um, when I was, it was 2007 or eight ish. We, my roommate in New York, her dad died very suddenly, completely out of nowhere, just like dropped dead. He was much older, but like he was in pretty good condition. So it just, nobody was expecting it. And I realized after Melissa died, she, you know, she was so supportive. Her name is Sarah. She was just really there for me, always checking in on me and just I'm like, I'm getting emotional because she was just so just such a good friend and good person. Um, and I realized after that, I was like, Sarah, I'm so sorry. Like, I really now that I'm dealing with this, like, I don't think I did enough for you, like when your dad died. And it, it wasn't like I wasn't there for her. But I, I think what people don't realize is like, when somebody's deep in grief, like they're not necessarily going to ask for your help or like tell you what they need. And it's really more about like checking in and like offering to do things to help like that kind of stuff. And I was like, we live together. And like, 
of course I was like, how are you doing? Like, oh, you know, you're planning the funeral, blah, 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 like basic stuff. But then, you know, a month later, I wasn't like, hey, like, how are you feeling about everything? Like, I know it's been a month since he died. It's that kind of stuff that I think people who haven't experienced major loss don't know how to do. Yeah, I think you made a really good point that like, we don't, like, people don't know how, well, A, someone who's going through something isn't always able to ask for help or doesn't know how to or doesn't necessarily want to. But on the flip side of that, the, the, the support system, like, I know I've been in situations where I'm thinking about someone all the time, but I don't know, all right, how much should I bring it up? Or maybe they don't want to talk about it. Or do I act normal? Or do I ask them how they're doing? I mean, I had a, a childhood friend who I um, lost. She died from cancer a few or last summer. Yeah. And she, you know, was probably battling cancer for like five years, maybe four years. And we were never friends that like talked every day or even every week. We were more like catch up like four times a year, grab yeah. dinner, you know, maybe FaceTime once or twice in between and then catch up again. And so when this happened, like I did not know what, I didn't know how to act. Like I was thinking about her every single day, but I didn't want her to think I was just reaching out because I like felt bad for her. So then I wouldn't right. reach out. But then when I would, I would be like, well, do I act normal and like catch her up on my life? Or is that mean because she's just sitting in the hospital? You know, it's like, it's such a hard thing to navigate. And like, I wish going back, like if I could go back in time, I wish I just said like, hey, Danny, like, what do you want? Like, what can yeah. I do? Like, is there a right or wrong way for me to go about this? Because I like the last thing I ever want is that like the idea that she was sitting there being like, Oh, like, Oh, Anna doesn't care. Right. Yeah. It, it is really complicated. It is there. And it's, everybody's also different. You know, some people need to be surrounded by people. Other people need to be alone. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. So, I mean, asking, even though you might not, you might not get a response, they might say nothing. I'm fine. It's still the effort. And that to me counts for something. I will never forget that I have two for former friends <laughs> um, who one of them told me about a year after Melissa died, oh yeah, me and Dara, like we really wanted to help you. Um, we really wanted to do something, but we just didn't know. So we just didn't, we just didn't do anything. And I was just like, so put off by that. Like yeah. <laughs> I was like, so you, you thought about it, you discussed it amongst each other, but I have neither one of you has even texted me. Okay. Yeah. It's like, in some cases, the thought doesn't count. Right. In that case, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. I, I mean, I just can't imagine like the losing friends aspect. Like it's, and, so, it's called secondary loss. Actually, there is a real like term for it because it's, it's oh, more wow. common than people it's realize. Common, yeah. Yeah. Because then it's like you're not only grieving the actual loss, now you're grieving another loss of these friendships and these people who you thought were going to be there for you forever, no matter what. Yeah, I wrote a story for Hello Giggles um, a couple years ago about how my oldest friend, my friend of 24 years, I call her Judy in the story, um, she unfollowed me on Instagram shortly after my sister died. <laughs> and I mean, we, we met... What? Yeah. We, we met in fourth grade, like we were like best, best friends. And I, I was just so hurt. Like I tried to kind of let it go about the Instagram thing at first. I was like, I don't know, that's really weird. But like, let's just, and then it just, it really started to eat away at me. And so I, I emailed her and I was asked her like genuinely, like, what's up? And she wrote me back this like really cold, just didn't seem like her at all. Like mean, like, 
yeah, I'm sorry it hurt your feelings. That wasn't my intention. But like your content just simply wasn't of interest to me. Like literally said that. Oh my God. It, it really makes you question like, who are these people? Yes, I was like, did you ever like me? Like, were we ever really friends? Or were you just like tolerating me? I don't really understand. Like it was the strangest thing. And then I realized this has very little to do with me. This is yeah. something going on in her life. I trigger her with my content, quote unquote, in some way. It, it was it was very hard for me. Like it really was. And I wrote this article, I'll send you the link for Hello Giggles. And I can't even tell you, I got dozens of emails and DMs from people saying, thank you for, nobody ever talks about this. And it wasn't even about like, oh, secondary grief necessarily, but it was about like right. friendship breakups. So many yeah. messages like this just happened to me. And I was literally Googling this because no one talks about it. And, and it is really sad when friendships break up. I've gone through friendships, break, friendship breakups that have probably been harder than like the horrible like romantic relationship breakups that I've been through. Like they're, they're so confusing and I feel like they make you question so much because it's like, you think about romantic relationships, either like, all right, you either stay together or you break up. Yeah. Like there's kind of no in between, but with your friendships and especially people who have been your friend for so long, it's like, yeah, maybe there's a world in which you grow apart or you move to different places, whatever you become busy with things, but to have that idea of like, no, something actually happened here and we literally broke up and not only are we not friends, like there's some beef here. It's like, how do you get from here to there? And like, it's just such a wild concept. And it's something that like, we've never been taught how to cope with that. No, definitely not. It, it's yeah. It, secondary loss is interesting. And I, I, same with everything else we've been talking about. I want more people to talk about that as well, because it's, it's very yeah. real. And like, to your point, it can sometimes be worse. You know, I think it's very rare at our age that you're dating someone for 24 years, right? Because we're not really old enough <laughs> to be have, to have a 24-year romantic relationship. But being friends right. with someone for 24 years and, and you know, spending so much time with them. And, you know, we, we also went to college really close to each other. So we, like, hung out all the time. I was, like, always in Manhattan visiting her and just and vice versa. Then we both moved to Manhattan. And it was, like, our friendship really evolved literally from elementary school to like being in our 20 something adulthood lives. And yeah, I felt like a huge loss when that happened. And then it's like on top of the grief that I'm dealing with after losing my sister. And I'm like, this bitch has no idea. She does. She's never yeah. lost anyone. So, I yeah. mean, I don't know about in the last couple of years, obviously, but to my knowledge, she's never like her grandparents are all alive. Like it's yeah. So it, it'll not that I want her to suffer, obviously, but I think, when she does have her first major loss, like most likely like a parent now that we're getting older, um, maybe it'll give her a little more perspective and maybe some empathy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I forgot what I was going to say, but I, f I just feel like it's so, it, it's so hard in those situations where you're dealing with something and now you feel like, well, my sister's death, my dad's death. She's now making it about her by oh, doing yeah. all this. Yeah. Like that's what it feels like. Absolutely. Yeah. People will, and listen, it, it's impossible to, to lose to the two, like two of the most important people in your life and like not change a little bit. And I've said it the whole time. Like, I'm like, I am clearly not the same exact person that I was before my sister died. Like that would be impossible. Yeah. But am I so different that like people need to like end relationships with me? Like, no, I mean, it's no, you get, I think another thing to point out too, is like, 
we grieving people get very like they get like what somebody kind of makes up as like a grief timeline for them. So for most people, it's like you get like a year, right? After the first year, it's like you're supposed to just be over it. Or maybe after even the funeral, like it's like, oh, that's another thing. Like after the funeral, like all of a sudden you stop hearing from the people that were constantly checking in on you. And look, I get it. Everyone has their own lives. Like you can't expect someone to like be up your butt all the time. Like, oh, how do you do? I, I understand that. And I wouldn't even want that. But there is like some weird made up thing that people have in their head where it's like, well, this is what I deem socially acceptable for you to like not be your perfect self. And now that that timeline is over, like you need to snap back. Yeah. It's like you get a certain period where like you don't have to go to work, but then you have to show up and, you know, catch up on everything and get right back into the swing of things and not take a day off because you just took all this time off. Do you think it would be helpful? Like if somebody is a friend of someone who loses someone, like even to just put a weekly or monthly calendar reminder, like check in on this person. Oh, like, absolutely. Do you think that's something, because I feel like that is something that after the funeral, like after that initial period where they are receiving so much support, I feel like that's something that a friend could do that holds them accountable for checking in. Yeah, I love that idea. And, you know, you could tell them you're doing it or even not tell them that you're doing it. They might not even notice if it's monthly, right? Like it depends on your relationship. But um, yeah, no, I think that's a really nice thing for sure. And I mean, literally no one has ever done that for me. So it's like, (laughs) it would have been nice. You know, and I say, when I say things like that, it's like, it's not coming from a bitter place. I say it because I need to like draw attention to it for other people's sake. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes complete sense. And it's so sad to hear that this is like the follow-up of what happened for you, but it's also, I'm sure, the most common thing. Yes, yeah. And when you talk to people who have suffered major loss, like a sibling or, or a parent, um, it's it's more common than not. It really is. Like you'll, and again, no one's really talking about it. But like, you know, I'll, I'll tell the story about Judy or or the girls who chose to do nothing over something or anything. And they're like, Oh my God, my, yeah, my cousin did the same thing or so-and-so it's there's, everyone has a story just like that. It's just not being shared. I'm lucky that I have like my platforms, like my blog and my Instagram and my podcast where like, I'd say these things and it, yeah, it, it needs to be spoken of. It really does. And then, you know, when it bringing, bringing it back to the dating aspect, it's like, I think that is something that is just, no one talks about that. Because it's like, dating is already awkward. Nobody wants to add a level of awkwardness on top of that. But it's like, why not? Like, especially once you hit your 30s, it's like, you need to just start like putting it all out there because you're you're not like wasting time anymore, you know? Yeah, I think part of the problem is that people don't know how to talk about it. I mean, even in this conversation, I've caught myself like dancing around the word like died and saying like, oh, like, when did you lose your sister? Like, how did you lose your dad? Instead of saying like, when did your dad, like, how did your dad die? Like, I feel like we're so uncomfortable with the concept of death and we're so afraid of it that we don't know how to talk about it. And that's not an excuse for not talking about it, but it's just like, again, like, thank God there are people like you who do talk about it so that we can like normalize the conversation. I like that you said that. And that is another really good point because it's a very American thing, by the way, like, Europeans, okay. yeah, no, I learned that. Like, I actually learned that before even my sister and my dad died. I, I remember I was in Italy um, after college graduation. I did some backpacking and I was in, um, I think it was Sorrento or Positano. I forget which one. And there was a funeral, an Italian funeral. And the women were just, I mean, 
like audibly like sobbing and like falling on the ground and being picked up. And like, it was like, it felt like a movie. And my friend Kristen, who I was with, we were both like, what the fuck? And then I realized, no, this is like normal for their culture. This it's, it's part of the grieving process. And I think in a lot of ways, it's healthier to do that, to get it all out. Of course, it's still going to be there after, but like you're physically letting yourself cry and be loud and moan and scream and I'm talking like banging on the ground like these women were like letting it all out and as Americans we were like oh, like so uncomfortable like, <laughs> like uh what's that phrase like a duck kicking under the water but like yeah. gliding on top you know what I'm talking about yeah. like yeah. we just we have to act like we everything's fine no matter no matter how bad things are like we're okay like no yeah. a lot of times we're literally fucking not okay and we're allowed to not be okay yeah. I, it, I, when I did some Googling and I haven't like done a deep dive, but I, back in the day I did, and it, it goes back to like the Puritan heritage of America and like how they, they weren't really like allowed to be outwardly expressive. Um, you know, I'm talking like Plymouth rock Puritan, like that's not my ancestors. Cause I'm, my family's fairly new to this country. Like I'm, I'm second generation Italian. Like my grandmother literally came here on a boat from Italy, but the people who were like, found in America it's deep rooted in that of just like not showing emotion just like being stoic like just being very put together and especially women were you know the term hysterical hysterectomy like there's yeah. a whole back history of that too which I won't get into but yeah I mean I, when I started realizing that like a lot of European countries if not all of them like they allow the grieving process to be much more open and I found myself even at the funerals of my sister and dad like apologizing to people for crying I mean like you know because they would, I'd be okay like this. And then all of a sudden they would say something and I would just burst into tears. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, why the fuck am I apologizing? Like, well, yeah, literally, why are you apologizing? But it's the way that we feel like we have to act. Yeah. Ugh. What do you think, you know, moving forward, like if you were to meet somebody, fall in love and they're your person, like how do you think some of this like grief might show up for you or what are some things that like would feel really difficult for you to navigate in that? You know, that's a great question. I'm still trying to honestly figure that out. And I I work with a grief therapist um, who's great. Her name is Amira. And she and I have like, she doesn't like me getting too far ahead of myself (laughs) because I do that. I'm like, oh, let's like, you know, like I I froze my eggs um, in April, which was really difficult like physically and mentally and financially terrible. Um, That's another thing nobody seems to talk about, which I'm very confused by. I'm like, are you all just like super women? Because I was miserable. Like (laughs) I was like, thank God I have like a job that's like, I don't have to sit in an office cubicle all day because I don't know what the fuck I would have done. Honestly. Sorry. Can I curse? I just realized I've been cursing. Yeah. It's fine. Okay. By all means. (laughs) On mine, you can always say the curses. So I I never even think about it. Um, But yeah, like, that was a big decision for me. And a big part of why I did that at 39 was because I have not actively been trying to date because of my grief and like me trying to get to like a better place. Um, When you are in your late thirties, there's that added pressure too, especially if you want to have children. That's something that I think some people talk about. Maybe it's just not in my algorithm, but I like on TikTok because I love all the, like the single childless by choice. I love, 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 love seeing that. I'm like, yes, but you know what sucks? It sucks for the women like me who like do actually want a child and are the same age as you (laughs) and not actively dating. 
you know, that it's, it's challenging. Um, but to answer your question, my, my best guess would be fear of abandonment, you know, just, and, and that's something that I had even before my sister and my dad died, like just letting, I think opening up to someone and like really letting them in and then them deciding like they don't want to be with me anymore, <laughs> which has happened in the past. And, you know, you can see I'm getting like, it, it still affects me very much. Yeah. And, and that is so understandable for anyone, regardless of if they've like had someone close to them die or not. That's something yeah. that is so valid and it is really scary. You know, you give your like heart to somebody and we try and trust that they're going to be gentle with it and that they're always going to hold on to it. But sometimes they want to give it back. <laughs> and obviously, you know, that can impact some of us more than others. And in your situation, that makes complete sense. And that would yeah. probably hold me back from dating too. I think honestly, something even more new that I kind of discovered. So I've never really been into like older guys. If anything, I'll go a little bit younger or my own age. But, you know, again, as you get into your 30s, you kind of have to expand, not up, well, upper 30s, I meant, you have to expand your options a little bit more, be a little more open, like realizing that when you're 39, like you might end up dating a guy who's divorced, has a kid or two, something like that, maybe a little bit older, whatever, especially in LA, because everyone here is like Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> yep. But after my dad died, I, I realized that I don't want to be with someone or and especially not have a child with someone who is significantly older than me. Um, because it's like setting them up, them up. Yeah. for that loss. And, you know, I've had a friend argue, say, yeah, but anybody can die at any time. I'm like, right. But if the man is 20 years older than me, like there's a right. guarantee there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I've, I've had friends, you know, struggle with that even in their 20s where, you know, they met somebody who they are falling in love with, but that person has a very serious health condition and a very shortened lifespan. And yeah. they've had to, you know, consider, well, like this will absolutely impact me and, and my potential future children. And like, do I, am I okay with that or not? Yeah. That, it's, a, that, it's a really hard decision. And that especially, yeah. not so much not dating older guys, but that especially, because it's like, that's not, their faults. And if you like really have that connection with someone, that's, I would hate to be in that situation. Yeah. There's like, there's no, there's no, again, like there's no right or wrong answer, but there's no good. Best for you. Yeah. 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 I just know right. because of my, like my close relationship with my dad. And I know like, I'm lucky to have that too. Like, that's the other thing. Like I talk to other friends and they just don't, they don't have that relationship with their parents or their dad or their mom or whoever. And so they don't really see necessarily my point of view. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not having a baby with like a fucking six year old man. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah, it, it's not fair to the kid. It's not fair to me yeah. and it's not fair to the kid. Yeah. Has there been anything like any advice that anyone has given you about either dating while grieving or just the grieving process in general that really, you know, hit home for you? You know, nothing is coming to, to my mind, but I will say like it, when I, people, you know, you probably get this. Well, not anymore. Cause you have a boyfriend, but when you see someone, you haven't seen them in a while, it's like, Oh, are you dating anyone? That's kind of like the go-to question, which is really annoying in my opinion. It's like, yes, it's kind of like asking someone, when are you going to have a kid? It's like, it's really right. none of your fucking business, but they ask it anyway. And, um, it's sort of mixed reactions when, when I'll say, they'll say, Oh, are you dating? And I'm like, no, 
like, oh, you're not trying. I'm like, no, I mean, I have days, don't get me wrong. There'll be a day where I'm like feeling great. And I'm like, I'm just going to go on check, check the apps. And literally, then I just get depressed all over again. Cause I'm like, this is so sad. Like, <laughs> like we were talking on my podcast. I'm like, wow, Hinge thinks I'm ugly. Bumble, I get like 400 matches and only two of them respond and they give me one word answers. Raya, LOL. Let's not even go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> the league, I'm sorry. Like I get the concept, but like it's a numbers game and you're only giving me three a day and that's just not enough. It's just not. Um, so, yeah. you know, that was a quick rundown. But like, yeah, I'll do that once in a while and then nothing comes to, you know, comes because of it or I just get like exhausted mentally from the mundane conversations or lack thereof. So when I tell people that, they're like, yeah, but like, you're never going to meet anyone just like sitting at home or doing your own thing. And I'm like, right, but I'm not trying to meet someone. That's the point. Like, it would be different if I was complaining and was like, I'm trying to find a relationship, like I'm trying to move things forward. And I wasn't doing anything to do that. But I'm, I'm not that way. Like, I'm actually like very content right now just being single and like working on my multitude of businesses. Like I just launched a daily planner. It's called the Progress Over Perfection Planner. Shameless plug. And (laughs) you can get it on honestlyjamie.com. And um, I'm just so proud of it. It's like, it's my baby. And that's what makes me happy right now. So I just don't feel like until I'm in a place where I can be my best self, which isn't now, um, I don't really want to go on the dates. And my friend Gabby actually brought up a good point. She was like, look, dating already takes a toll on somebody's self-esteem. Like most of the time, it's endless conversations that go nowhere. It's you liking someone that I'm not liking you back, all the things. And if you're not in a confident place, it's really not worth your time and yeah. energy. Yeah, it's it's not. It's like hitting you when you're already hurting. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I love that, you know, you have the self-awareness to know what type of place you're in and what that means for you and what you want to do with your time right now. I think that's so important for people to figure out. And, you know, the fact that you can prioritize yourself and focus on the things that bring you joy and make you happy and make you feel fulfilled. Like, that's what life is all about. And it like, nobody should. And of course, people will like ask the questions because we just feel like those are the questions to ask. But like, my hope is that for you or anyone else who's not focusing on dating, like, people can embrace that about you and not judge you for it. Because again, like you said, like it's none of their fucking business. Yep. No, I agree. And I will say the egg freezing made it a little bit easier for me to do that because I felt like some of the pressure was lifted off of my shoulders of like the timeline, which is also bullshit anyway. It's just made up by society. It's like, also my mom and my grandmother both got pregnant into their forties. I'm not like so concerned, but because of all the whispering that we hear as women in our ears, I was like, let me just do this. My doctor, because, you know, once you're like over 35, the egg quality goes down, which is true. Um, My doctor wanted me to do a second round. And I was like, number one, how dare you? (laughs) Because that was awful. Like physically, I had like little dots, little purple dots all over my skin. I was bloated. I couldn't move. I was like a freaking Easter egg, like rolling around on the floor. It was terrible. Just felt like garbage. And number two, it's so expensive with my single person salary. So I I made the decision. I got a good amount, a little above average for my age of follicles. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) That's it. You did it. I did it. If all of these are complete garbage and they don't work, I can say I tried. Yeah. I, I, I did it. it, it that's kind yeah. of what ultimately made me decide to do it. Cause I was like, well, if I don't do it and I can't get pregnant naturally, then I'll always be like, I should have done it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I actually brought somebody on the podcast recently to talk about that. And she's not entirely sure if she wants to have kids, but she's like, I'd rather, you know, unfortunately spend this giant amount of money right now and have the option instead of the alternative where I don't do it and I do decide I want kids and I don't have the option. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's... The thing is, and there's no guarantee, like I said, she she might have all crap eggs, I might have all crap eggs. Like, there really is no guarantee. I think that's also something that, like, the doctors don't love talking about publicly because they're like, oh, it's like a safety net. I mean, maybe, like, yeah, for most people, but you just don't know. They're not testing these eggs, so you don't really know if they're going to work or not. Yeah, you never know. It's scary. Um, Thank you so much for being here, Jamie. This has been so amazing. And, And again, like, just such an important conversation to have. And I appreciate you wanting to have it. And I hope I appreciate everyone who listened and hope, you know, we can all move forward and continue to have these conversations because they are so important. Before I let you go, um, my favorite question to ask all of my guests is what is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received or have to give? Oh, I love that. Um, Let me think. I would say... hmm. You know what's funny is I'm going to I'm going to say a piece of advice that I have well I've only experienced it I guess once or twice. It really should be easy at the beginning. And I've I've learned that the hard way. Like I think because of my personality and the way that I am it's like I'm used to like working really hard for things that I've achieved and it, I don't necessarily think that that it should be that way with relationships. <laughs> it, yeah. it needs to be it needs to be like mutually easy. And that doesn't mean you're not going to argue ever or like not bicker. I'm not talking about that. I just mean like you like someone and it's not a fucking mystery that they like you back. You text them and they text you back within an hour right, or like you two. You don't have to complicate it. Right. Like, it's not always like, you know, you shouldn't be guessing all the time. Like, does, does this person like me? Why haven't they answered me in two days? Like, that is some bullshit that I will never do again. And I, because I did that. That was like the majority of what I did in my 20s and, and even early 30s. It's like, it was always a guessing game. I was always trying to figure them out. And I'm like, you know what? If they really liked me, like, I wouldn't be asking all these questions to myself. I wish I just could. have, And it's like, I knew that because obviously we all watch sex in the city and you know, the, he's just not that into you and all of that, but it didn't quite sink in the way that it does now. Yeah. It really doesn't have to be that hard. And you know, every relationship situation that I was in that went down the toilet, it was confusing and hard yeah. like that from the beginning. And it well, couldn't have been more easy with Jake. And that was like, absolutely one of the ways I knew that this was right. And it just felt so different. And I mean, that's definitely something like I wish for everyone to experience. Yeah. And I think also too, like the Oprah saying when somebody shows you who they are, believe them, believe them. Oh, yeah. That was really hard for me too. Like I had guys in my 20s, several actually be like, I'm just not good enough for you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Of course you are. It's like, no, they're literally telling they're me. They're literally not. They're literally not. Nope. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you are. Like, like well, let me I'm try not to fix good you. enough for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I don't deserve you. But here we are. So let's not ruin it. They're like, no, like, Anna, like, I don't want anything serious, but I like you. And I'm like, but you like me. Yeah. You, like, selective hearing is also a problem, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. such a problem. Oh my God. All right, Jamie, thank you again so much. Where can everybody find you, your show, your blog, anything else you want to shout out? Okay, so my blog is honestlyjamie.com and you could also get the Progress Over Perfection Planner on there. There's a little banner at the top. 
Um, my podcast is a little too much, and you can find that on any podcast platform. And then I'm it's Jamie Stone, I T S J A M I E Stone on TikTok and Instagram. Oh, I can't hear you. Weird. All of that will be in the show notes. Okay. Oh, I, 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 no, I mute myself to sniffle, um, and then I forget to unmute myself. Um, but perfect. All of that will be in the show yeah. notes. Um, so I, I want, need a progress over perfection planner. Yeah, what's oh, up? I was also going to say, I wanted to thank you for having me on. I know that this topic is heavy, and it's like a lot for people to listen to all at once. So thank you for that. It, it can be a lot. I get it. No, these are like, this is why I do this, you know, to have these conversations and to share these stories, because you're not the only person who's gone through this. And there are people listening who have and who, you know, might feel alone right now. And again, like, I just want everyone to know, like, everything we experience, like, we're not alone. We're not the only person who has experienced this. And, you know, even again, for you never know who you're going to encounter on a date, you never know what that person's been through. And, like for even for people who haven't been through something like this and might not, it's so important to know more about it so you can properly support someone and properly react and just not feel like you're going in blind. I actually, I wrote a blog post about how to help a grieving friend. So I'll email that to you if I'd you love to want share to that. share that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and yeah, the Hello absolutely. Giggle story. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, everyone check out a little too much. Check out my episode with Jamie on a little too much and check everything else out in the show notes. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. If you have not yet given a five-star rating interview, it means so, so much. So please take a moment and do that. Share this episode on your story. If you loved it, tag both of us. It's Jamie Stone and seeing other people. And if there's somebody in mind that you think should listen to this episode, you have a friend who you think would benefit from hearing it, please send it their way. All right. Love you guys. I will talk to you next time. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.